Hello and welcome to the very first inaugural episode of the Sector 4 Formula One show podcast, whatever you want to refer to it as. Um, my name is Keegan. I'm Steve. That's, that's Steve over there. Um, you can't see him, but you can hear him. And um, this is the first attempt, the first go around at doing this. Um, if you don't know already, we are talking about Formula One and everything to do with it. And uh, finding a name was the most difficult part about starting this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we basically we went, through- went through every single F1 term. Like we just Googled yeah. F1 terms and then just put it into a name and then Googled that name podcast just to find out every hit or miss. I think I was shocked too about how many are already out there. I'm like, oh, we're going to have this super original Formula One podcast idea that nobody's ever done before. How yeah. original of us. Then you and Google then- it and it's like 300 episodes <laughs> on this random name. You're like, oh, God. <laughs> but damn. All right. Back to square one. Um, no, but it, I mean, it's fun and I'm, I'm happy with the one we came up to. I think our uh, our notions still, um, our little writing software is still a different name altogether, but we're going to pretend like that's that's not up there. Yeah, uh, we, we fixed it up. Like exist um but anyways yeah we uh we're really excited to start this and i think for for me especially this is new territory uh for steve and i we've both done podcasts before so the the medium is not exactly new but the the topic is um so maybe i guess steve if you want to kind of say how you got into formula one what drove you to want to do something like this um and and i guess kind of what you're about might be a good way to uh to kick it off basically i work for one of the most fierce engine production companies in formula <laughs> one ever <laughs> honda <laughs> yeah if this Renault. was like if, oh, this, yeah, was, not one. if oh. this was 1989 people would be sweating <laughs> saying i work for <laughs> honda but no 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 so basically the people around uh work all the time are pretty into it so i naturally got into it as well we started up fantasy leagues pit each other against ourselves and uh basically went at it just dived straight into watching full seasons watching full races getting into drive to survive and just trying to soak up as much knowledge as i could probably like the first sport that i've ever been truly passionate about i've never cared for sports normally until i started watching f1 what was it that like i guess with other sports what is it about this and and maybe we have the same opinion that got you more more hooked on it because i think the thing for me as a as a big hockey guy and in baseball are kind of my my two big ones they have a, a slower pace to them generally like would you say it's just the the pace of everything that got you kind of going in it more more than others Oh yeah, definitely like the fast pace, whatnot, going through like the politics. It's it's so much more than just like a race once you get into it. There's so much more to just dissect out of it. There, there's so much more behind like backstories to all the drivers that people don't know. They all have lives outside that you don't really know about. But when it actually like transmits to the track, it's just like a whole different story. And the more you know, like the more you become invested in it. Then you just yeah. got your basic things, like just straight up how Charles Leclerc looks. That's enough to oh pull any god. guy into the sport. I mean, how can you not? Right? Look at that man! Oh my god! I, I should get a poster of him up in my room, but I, I don't know if my girlfriend would like that. Actually, yeah, no, I, think, I think she would like that more than more than I would. Maybe you're down but, selling yourself at that point. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, it's a good point, though. I mean, for me, um, it was for it was Drive to Survive, which really got me going into into the sport. Hardcore um, F one fans are absolutely cringing at hearing us say they're that. Just like, oh my god! How they dare already stopped you? listening. <laughs> they're already just like all right turn it off um but i mean there, there's something about how um how sports do market themselves which um is really important in, in, into how you get the the casual fan going into something for me i've never been a car guy like for god's sakes i drive a 2016 malibu um that should be enough to tell you about how much i know about cars or, or motorsports in general um but but the way that they present the show i think puts it when you see all the politics and you see the relationships and while it is very exaggerated, it at least gets you on the edge of your seat. Like, Oh, okay. I want to know what happens next. I want to oh, know yeah. uh, which team is Daniel Ricardo going to next. Also. And, and just real quick, that first episode of drive to survive, probably the best way to start it with, with Ricardo. I think that's first of all, Ooh, mm, Daniel. <laughs> and, and then, and then just also his story and, and the gravity of the situation. They just, they really pull you in. So I, I don't think it can be understated really. Oh no, it's definitely, it's, 
some people will just they'll want to shut the door on it right away it's just oh, it's just oh, a bunch of cars going around in circles first of all they're not yeah. circles this is a nascar it's much more interesting yeah. but you have like the you have these characters in the sport like daniel ricardo that are just so like welcoming to bring you into it so it's yeah. it's it's an easy topic to get into it's an easy sport to invest yourself into in the end and you get so much out of it yeah and and I mean, it speaks to I think they're they're doing a golf one now, but it speaks to the the relevance of the streaming service now and, and not to get too much into the behind the scenes of Netflix and all that other stuff. But when you have a, a sport marketed in this way to a popular audience, people who are just scrolling through Netflix go, oh, I wonder what this is about. I want to know what all the hype is. And, you, you know, you get into that first episode and you're like, oh, I can I can hang with this. I really I get it. Yeah. Um, so when you appeal, look at the, the statistics of tickets sales for f1 races before and after drive to survive came out it's yeah. literally like three to four times at the u.s grand prix like well i was just year. gonna mention yeah 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 and that was that was a big deal because i mean even speaking from our, ourselves formula one is not a north american thing classically it's a very european sport yeah so even just to have like four times the amount of people in a race that's considered outside of the regular area it's insane it's insane that literally halfway across the world you have four times the amount of fans yeah it's it's crazy what what drive to survive has actually done for the sport yeah and, and I mean, even just looking like real quick, a quick Google search will tell you even in 2020 when the um, I think by this point, only the second series had come out, I believe. Um, and in the UK, it was already streamed in a million UK homes, I think, by um, within two months of it of it coming out. Oh, yeah. So it's always UK's, like top 10. Yeah. So that alone, and that's obviously, um, well, Europe, depending on how you get geopolitically, um, <laughs> that's not a topic for this podcast. Um, but no, it's, it's great the reach that it has. And I think people should be weary of discounting drive to survive despite its flaws, its evident flaws, um, as a way to hook people in, I think it's successful. And I mean, you and I are, are certainly, um, products of that in most regards. Um, and here I am now with my, my display of assorted hats on my bed um i've got a ferrari hat two mclaren hats two red bull hats and a mercedes hat and uh it just speaks to how quickly you can really get hooked on this and uh it, it's just funny because I, I i think about how much money i've spent on these and i want to cry but oh know, yeah it gets it's atrocious because this stuff isn't cheap too like working no. for honda i always get access to the well not anymore since honda pulled out technically but I always get access to the dream shop early on. So I yeah. can be the guy that has the current F1 um, merchandise before it's really available to anybody else. And I always yeah. just line up the phrase when somebody asks why, how I have that. I just tell them that I was on the pit team for Canada, but it got canceled because <laughs> <laughs> I always have a Red Bull and Alfa gear on me early. Yeah. But it's nice. It, it's, it's so nice to have something to be passionate about these days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, let's uh, let's save a little bit of the the in-depth talk, I guess, for for a few minutes from now. I, I kind of go over the logistics of, I guess, what we're trying to do. And um, our goal essentially is that we we aiming to put out one show a week, uh, whether or not that always happens. I think that's uh, remains to be seen because whether there's off weeks or, or what have you or other things going on. But the goal, I think, is to have a show a week, mm -hmm. um, it, ideally. Uh, and the conception of this is that we kind of fit it in between the off parts of the past weekend and then before the the next race weekend if we have back-to-backs um so usually middle of the week we're aiming to record and put an episode out uh so that way we can recap whatever happened on the last race weekend for the the friday saturday sunday and then also preview what's uh what's going down the next week so the goal is i think to kind of put out on thursdays or fridays whatever uh whatever we deem appropriate, I guess, for the foreseeable future. Um, but that's, that's the goal. And, and hopefully we can stick to that. Um, obviously I think we have four to five shows leading up to Bahrain. I think it'd be four to five. Um, and Bahrain Grand Prix weekend will be on the, the 18th, correct? The 18th, 19th, 20th of March. Yep. Yep. And so, yeah, we're, we're hoping to 
talk about, I guess, everything that happened in the last season, uh, everything to recap, because there's certainly a lot to talk about there uh, without beating the dead horse, so to speak. Such on, a controversial on a season, season, but I loved yeah. every second of it. it. But and that's what makes for a great, um, a great couple episodes, too, because we can really dig deep into some things that maybe went wrong. Um, I think the whole FIA Michael Massey issue is an entire episode in itself, oh my God. Uh, almost because you can really go into that. Um, but otherwise, you know, there's, there's lots, lots to go over. I think the big thing for, for today's show that maybe we want to look at is the, basically what we have to look forward to this season, because there's a lot changing, uh, regulation wise. And these cars are, are essentially brand new. We're starting from scratch. All these drivers who have gone through uh, a bunch of different changes for some and others have not really been subject to to this as much um but we do have a brand new start for pretty much every driver this year brand new era brand new era what what is this era defined as steven i guess bringing back ground effect oh okay reducing <laughs> okay. uh reducing dirty air behind the cars that's pretty much what they're going for is just they're trying to reduce dirty air that the cars leave in a wake so that because the biggest right. issue is is like how frustrating was it watching races last year and you'd see the cars get so close so close but then by the time they go through all the corners and chicanes they fall back like eight tenths of a second because you just can't yeah. you can't follow somebody in the corners you got no downforce following somebody's rear yeah or if you're running and, and a hot mercedes you just can't follow somebody because you just overheat <laughs> after four laps and that's where you lose out to on on so many of those races because you can have the the closest race ever but as soon as you get into um basically it, it would be traffic that you get into in this line of cars what you can't really get by anybody and you can't really go anywhere unless you're in first yeah <laughs> like well, what can of, you really do yeah my idea of close racing is close wheel to wheel racing not a drs yeah. train down the main <laughs> straight every time <laughs> Well, exactly. And it's something that you see. I think it was Austria where Max had that like I, something ridiculous, like a 40 second lead um, on Lewis, I think was in, in second place because he was in first and then just took off. Yeah. Um, so just race. It's just dis- like and, and so, well, it's great to see people winning. Obviously, you like to see a dominant car. Awesome. Fantastic. I think what makes the sport so so great to watch is that competitive wheel to wheel racing like you're talking about. And if you just have this DRS train, like you're, like you're saying every single race and then Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen taking off every time, I mean, what are you really watching? You know, it's basically watching, uh, it's watching the podium. So it's, it's first, second and third all within like, you know, five to 15 seconds of each other. Then it's like a full minute before you get to the rest (laughs) of the pack every race. Like I want finishes like the U S grand prix in 2021, where it was like literally down to the last lap where Lewis was catching max and just couldn't do it. Like I remember we were all on the edges of our seat, hoping that he would hold them off. And it was like the same thing for the uh, Bahrain opener last year. It was so Mm. close down to the last lap until he had to give that position back after max passed outside the line. Right. That is the racing I want to see every time i don't want to yeah. see spa spa was atrocious oh last man year. The, the, the two laps and then was that george got his first podium yeah yeah that's what it was right yeah yeah and so i mean don't get me wrong it was a great season and, and obviously we're going to go into that more but i think the idea and from a lot of the formula one pr that i've i've gone into and researched um the main things that they they sort of emphasize is this idea of better racing uh, was one of the actual publications that they put out they talked about how they want to reduce catastrophic downforce loss by putting an emphasis, like you said, on the ground effect. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that seemed to be, I mean, two things that that really stand out to me is they talk about the overwheel winglets, which I think is what you were talking about with the uh, the wake. Um, and in terms of the the close racing, um, I'll just directly quote their press release here that their job is to help control the weight coming off of the front tires and direct it away from the rear wing. That's been a role traditionally performed by vortices, vortices, is it vortices, vortices, um, from the front wing, but in a way that makes them hugely sensitive when running in following car conditions, as we're talking about the winglets will achieve the same thing, but in a way that is more aerodynamically resilient to close or in close racing. So uh, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, technical term in there. Um, is there anything that like you like stands out to you in terms of what's actually going to happen from a technical point? From a technical standpoint, they're essentially lowering, basically restricting the amount of downforce that you can get out of the car because 
the more downforce you make, the more of a wake you're making behind you. So if you make that harder to get, you're making less of a wake. Now there's still ways that you can make up for this loss on downforce just by putting emphasis on the ground effect. That's why they're opening the ground effect back up. They're kind of like opening that Pandora's box of letting people do that. When Mm -hmm. back in like the eighties and nineties, when ground effect was a lot more popular, you saw it basically come in and roll the sport and then just immediately get outlawed because it was just too good. But now that they're coming back with it, it's going to be really interesting to see this year who gets it right and who gets it wrong. Yeah, because the whole thing with a new era is it could absolutely shake the entire grid. Yeah, unless your Mercedes and you've been working on this car for two years now. Yeah, or if you're Haas and you've been working on this car for two years now, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see how that one pans out. <laughs> um, but I, so I, I guess my my question would be from from a casual fan point of view is that they're talking about and all the drivers are, are going on about how this year's cars are going to be faster than than the previous years. The fastest ever is what they say. I, th- I feel like they say that every year. It's kind of like a world championship material when they talk about all the drivers in uh, Drive to Survive. Uh, everybody's world championship like, material. You've always got to take that with a grain of salt because yeah. when was the last time that you saw a new lap record in a race? Yeah. It, it's not, it's not as often it happens anymore. It yeah. hasn't been really since like 2017, 18 and 19. Right. Like the fastest, like people would say that the fastest F1 car ever made was the 2020 Mercedes. Yep. Yep. Just purely because of what it could do in the corners. But you know, then you can get back into like the 2019 Ferrari straight line speed. Right. I don't think so, these cars are going to be faster. I think they're going to be similar. Yeah. Well, the the issue I, I think that I I run into in a perception wise, and not in a technical manner, just trying to understand what I guess Formula One as a sport is going for here, is that you have one one block and one party of people saying, "No, these are going to be the fastest cars ever. It's going to be faster than last year." Blah blah blah. Same rhetoric that you get every year. But on the other hand, we're talking about how there's going to be more emphasis on on ground effect and downforce and all these things. So I guess my question is, which one is it? Are we going to have more downforce and more control for in the cars? Or are we going to have higher top speeds or can you get both? I think that's where they're kind of uh, hiding the words behind the letter is that when they say it's going to be faster, it's probably going to be a faster top speed because you simply just have less, less downforce, less downforce, more speed. Mm -hmm. So it's just going to be faster down the straights, but it's probably going to be quite slower in the corners. Right. You're going to have that. It's always going to be a a balance that you have to find between teams. You know, that's why they always run different wings at different tracks, different settings at different tracks. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, from from again, from a casual point of view and something that I don't particularly I understand the basis of it, the the baseline of the tire change, because I think this is a very big part of what we're going to see this year. We're going from uh, what the original size of the the tires was it a 16 inch or a 15 inch? I think tire. it was actually a 13 inch. Was it a 13 inch tire? Yeah. OK, so we have a, originally a 13 inch tire on these cars and now we're going up to an 18 inch low profile tire um, where the tires it seemingly they almost sit above the car yeah. um, in some ways compared to what they were before, where it seemed like the the body and the chassis of the car was more, uh, I guess, proportional Maybe yeah. is the better, better term. So what are we really getting? I think reducing tire overheating is one of the main things. But what are the other, I guess, distinct advantages in your mind of, of the way that they're approaching this this year? The, the one thing that I am hoping for that we'll see out of this is essentially a faster wear cycle out of the tires because it's almost frustrating to see that every race is almost turned into a one-stop strategy sure. when two to three to even four-stop strategies used to be normal to see. So it's kind of frustrating to be 20 laps through the race, everybody's already pitted, and you basically already know how the race is going to finish. Yeah. But if you have another two two or three pit stops, it's always like anyone's game. You could just yeah. absolutely get Valtteri Botas in Monaco and just lose your lug nut for the third time. <laughs> or you, yeah. you could just absolutely get just destroyed by McLaren's normally not so good pit stop times. Yeah. You know, it has such a wrench into the mix. So I'm hoping that you'll actually see a quicker tire wear and more often than not, we'll see a two, maybe even a three stop strategy in races. Right. Well, and that makes me think too, I think it was, uh, 
It was either 2017 or 2018, uh, Ricardo at Monaco, the year he didn't win. Um, because I think the year after he won, I believe that was the 2018 year. 2018 um, was his redemption. 2016 was his, uh, his fall. 16. So that was, if I remember correctly, he was in second or he was in first place. Yep. He went in for his pit stop. The pit crew completely Did not screwed have the him. tires ready. Um, and essentially he lost the race because of it. There's no yeah. other way to put it. And so you have those sorts of incidents, which they make for great headlines and great drama afterwards. But Dan, you got to feel bad for the guys when you can't, you know, I guess the point I'm trying to get at here is that you have much more of a reliance. It seems this year on the pit crew. Oh and yeah. It seems like you're putting way more on them. Whereas before it's like, Oh, one stop, maybe two stop. They only have to prepare for that. Hopefully the wing doesn't get taken out and that's it. Yeah. But now if you're, if you're pushing like a three stop strategy, one mistake and that's it. Like that can be your entire race. Right. So it is really fascinating to see how they're changing that up. Yeah. Pit stops were such a well-oiled machine only happened once a race. And now they're trying to yeah. slow them down while well, they did slow them down with the new regulations on the, on the guns, but yeah. no more 1.8 second pit stops by Red Bull now. Yeah. No so more record nice setting. To, yeah, I know <laughs> it, it's terrible because it's, it was one of those things where Red Bull and Williams were just so far ahead on the pit stop strategy and how they yeah. did it. It was just like that could make or break a race, but not over yeah. one pit stop. If there was three pit stops, saving a second or even like half a second per pit stop three times in a race, that's yeah. a difference of that could be a difference of two to three cars. Yep. Yeah. That's a lot of time. So it'll be interesting to see how it how it changes this year then, because I mean you're you're gonna have again, ideally to kind of recap this, we're, we're looking at hopefully closer racing. It's not always going to be Lewis or Max just dominating. I mean, <laughs> there's a likelihood that it could happen, yeah. but I mean, we, you know, we want to see people like Charles Leclerc, Charles and uh, Carlos Sainz who have been magnificent by the way, competing for these higher positions and, and, you know, pole positions and qualifying and all of these things. And, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing to see the Aston Martins and the Haas really actually competing with all the top teams compared to the train wreck that has been the past two years uh, for those teams. And I mean, just, you know, it'd be nice. To I, be I really want to see it world. be different. Yeah. It'd be nice to be in an F1 world where there, we don't use the term backmarker or midfield. Yeah. If it was purely just like, if you look at, uh, they post it on F1's Instagram and yeah. they'll, they'll show you every single race winner from the 20, like the turbo hybrid era from 2014 to 2021, every race winner, there is 11 of them. Yeah. Take every single race from 2014 to 2021. It is yeah. one of 11 people that won it. And what is it? Six or seven of them are still on the grid right now. Yeah. Aside from Kimmy. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> and that's the thing. And I guess maybe I'll say this one thing and then we'll, we'll move on to, to another part. But when you watch this stuff and you're trying to attract an audience, it's obviously great to be watching an all time. Great. Like Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. The, arguably the greatest driver in F1 history at this point. Now, now where we stand and would have been undeniably had, <laughs> had Abu Dhabi gone, gone maybe a little bit differently, but yeah. it, you know, you want to see these people challenging. It's not fun when you're watching a dynasty. It just isn't because everything's predetermined. It's great to see them dominate and to see how good they are and how someone can master the sport, but you want to see every team have a chance. I you don't want to see, see the, the Haas being double lapped every single race. Oh, it's, it's atrocious it, to watch. It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Every single race, just hoping that up until before George Russell scored his first points, every single yeah. race, just hoping that ha something would actually happen for him. Maybe yeah. luck would turn his way, but then it's every just time. like, then you go back to the problem with just the normal one stop strategy is that he just yeah. starts the race on mediums and then they slap him on hards early in the race and hope and just let him putter along until the end. Yeah. He's got no yeah. actual, there's no aggressiveness in the car when they're just running on like 40 lap old hards at the end of the race. It's just, it's, yeah. it's worthless. That's why I yeah. want to see like a higher pit stop per race strategy. Yeah. It's, it's, it allows people to run, you know, pretty much all last year is how rare was it that you saw people actually start the race on sauce? Not majority not of the grid was always starting yeah. on mediums and then just going straight to hards because you just didn't yeah. have that. You just had to be on the track. That's where yeah. it was settled. It was just a, who could get track in the clean position. air and run away. Yeah. 
That's something that Mercedes is always obsessed with is track position. And we'll see if that changes this year too, because I mean, the, the, the nice thing, and I think going back to, to the original point, everything is brand new. Yeah. We, we have no clue how this season's going to shape up. We have no clue how these cars are going to perform. We don't know what kind of racing we're going to get. And while that's exciting, it's also terrifying. Um, but we're, you know, let's hope that that isn't the, the go-to I think going forward is, is kind of what we're getting at. So yeah, we don't want to watch our favorite driver just get put in the worst car of the year. That's right, Daniel Ricardo. We don't want that to happen to you. <laughs> McLaren's Anyways, looking uh, pretty bold. They're they're getting really bold, and I think that's kind of the one thing I wanted to touch on next because I, I really just want to go quickly through um, what we know about some of the cars now. Um, and the the main thing that we're seeing differentiate between some of the cars, especially McLaren, is the difference between the push and the pull rod. Um, suspension if i understand this correctly mm -hmm. and it, maybe you can break this down a little bit better for how this differentiates because there was a classic way of how it was done and mclaren's essentially changing that this year where i believe they're operating a push rod suspension as opposed to a pull rod suspension so what exactly does that mean so there's there's benefits and there's cost towards having these different setups. A lot of the times it can fit the aero package for the car better because if you have a push rod or if you have a pull rod front suspension, which was last saw in 2015 Ferrari, which they right. switched it right back, sure. is that you can actually have your inboard suspension components mounted lower on the car if you're running a pull rod suspension setup. Okay. On the front. So you can have right. a lower center of gravity, which can actually help for, um, to run higher camber for better corner speed. Hmm. So, so I guess what kind of gamble is McLaren taking by, by changing this so drastically? Like what are they possibly sacrificing if they get this wrong? So they didn't really talk about it much. Their basic, their basic, um, idea of it was to avoid stupidly shallow angles on the pole rod because if right. you have these really aggressive angles on the pole rods you can have um high stress in the components so it's just a lot easier to just crack in half when you touch a wall or touch another car right but basically all they had to say was if we're the only ones doing it they either got it really right or yeah and he didn't have much to touch on because it's he's really got his ass on the line by doing it yeah what what well, is actually surprising if you switch over to the Haas is that the Haas release was a basically a 3D render and yeah. they show a front push rod design, but the Ferrari is also expected to have a pull rod front uh, front suspension design this year, too. Huh. They just haven't shown it yet. And the right. Haas basically gets all of its parts from Ferrari and Delara. So right. we'll probably actually see three cars running that setup this year. Interesting. So I guess we could really see, let, let's say in a hypothetical world, let's hypothetically, let's say that Ferrari, McLaren and Haas all get it right. Let's say that they do this and these minuscule differences, they go in and they run these cars to the absolute top. Which team let's go of which engineer first <laughs> is, is my question. Like, like, do you basically see Mercedes and Red Bull going, how did we get this so wrong? And just you're gone, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. Or is it, am I kind of being a little bit dramatic here? Like, is it something that they can maybe adjust for next season and go, Oh, you know, we just messed up last time. You might see people because the problem is, is that with a new era, the car that everybody's car that's going to show up on Bahrain is going to be probably very different to the car that leaves Abu Dhabi this year. It's, right. it's going to be a whole thing. That's why everybody's so scared about actually releasing their car. So props to Aston Martin for actually releasing their car on their release date <laughs> is that they, nobody really knows who learned what and who didn't get what. So if you figured something out, you want to keep it to yourself as a team. Especially right. if you're a works team, which is essentially like Mercedes, Ferrari and sort of quote unquote Red Bull. Yep. But if you're a team like Haas, where you get all of your parts from everyone else or Aston Martin, who sort of gets their parts from everyone else, you kind of have to make up those differences somewhere else. You're just picking up what the other team's giving you. Right. So you have to find you have to find your advantages elsewhere. Interesting. And, and I'm curious to see. 
I think, too, on that note, how well the drivers adapt, because I think that's a big thing going into this season as well. You have, I think, at least a third, maybe half of the grid who have gone through a rule change before. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would be Ricardo, Hamilton, uh, Vettel, Alonso, uh, Botas. uh, Actually, maybe it's less than I thought because it's a very young grid. Actually, maybe that that might actually sum it up. And was Perez... Uh, before 2013, was he in the I think Williams? So. I think he might have been in the Williams at some point. Um, so you basically got a, a third, if not less, of the grid who have gone through a real change before. And I think uh, Ricardo was asked about how much that helps him that he's been through a real change before. Does that help? And to his credit, he basically goes, well, it's a clean slate. So I think everybody's equally you know, on the, on the same foot here. But I, I feel like being through that experience of going through these real changes in a, a whole new car for the likes of Lewis and Daniel and Seb and, and all of them will, will have some distinct advantages because they know that they can just reset. They know that they can try and get it right. And their experience as drivers will only help them. I would imagine, or do you think that the younger drivers will go, okay, we're not as set in our ways, we can come in and adapt to this likes of Lando and Charles and, and Carlos. I definitely think that younger drivers have a bit more of a knack to, they're a lot more moldable mm-hmm. than the legends is that right. they have a lot more ability to just kind of get in there and just kind of adapt to whatever is giving them instead of just sitting in there and complain about how the car doesn't drive to how they like it. But it's, it's another thing to say that just because a driver switched teams, therefore switch cars, it's, it's arbitrary to say that they have an advantage going into a new era. If you sat right. at the same, if you're like Max Verstappen and you sat at the same team for all this time, you're still hopping into the, essentially the same car the next year. That's going to be tuned to how you drive because that's just how they're going to make the car versus yeah. if you're changing teams and you're just getting into a new car that now has to be set to whatever the previous driver of that car was. Mm-hmm. So you have to learn. That was one of the biggest things with Perez going to Red Bull is people don't know how much Perez and Albon worked together to get that car driving to how Perez wanted it. That's why you probably saw basically not as much of like an aggressiveness to his style in the first half of the season, because he was still basically working with Albon in the simulator all the time because Albon was there as essentially a resource to be like, Hey, the car drives like this. It does this, try to do this instead versus um, Ricardo who basically just hopped into a McLaren, which is (laughs) very tricky to drive. And then we saw this huge slump out of him, which was just a pain to see. Yeah. And that, to be fair, though, I think that also speaks to the the culture of McLaren. Um, and maybe we should touch on the fact that we're both pretty big McLaren fans. Um, but it, they basically had a culture where for years and they touch on this in DTS, that it was built around Alonzo. You know, that it was basically Alonzo's racing Alonzo. team, <laughs> team Alonzo. And then you had Lando come in eventually. And he's the new he's the new McLaren guy. He is McLaren. Um, I think he gets brought in. Is it 2019? That Lando comes in 2019, mm. I think, because it was the year that Daniel went to Renault. So I believe that it was the 2019 season. But regardless, you have essentially a car that was built for Fernando Alonso for uh, the years that he was in McLaren, which was a a long time, if I understand it correctly. I think it was five or six years. Yeah. Um, and every decision was made for him. And then you have the young kid come in in Lando, who I think drove alongside Carlos for for two years um, in McLaren. Yeah, they and, were they were a brand new team essentially in 2019 with uh, Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz. Right. And so in 2019, who are they developing that car for? Well, it's being developed for Lando. Carlos, yes, kind of because he's a good driver, but they're betting on Lando. And now we know they're really betting on Lando because he's signed until 2025. Oh, yeah. So then you have an issue where a driver like Daniel, who's got 10 or 11 years of experience in F1 at this point, comes in. Actually, sorry, I think it would be 12 or 13 at that point. He comes in and he's just completely foreign to the car after driving in Red Bull for his whole career and then Renault for, for the two years, which that different who's to say with the engines being the, still the Renault engine and who knows, but it, it does speak to your success really depends on who that car is being built for. Yeah. It was definitely like, like Ricardo went from a car that was made to fit his style of late breaking 
And then he swapped into a car that was made to take corner and speeds lower just because yep. of its loose rear end and in high and low downforce conditions. So he basically right. his whole nature was to break late and carry high speed into the corner when now he's sitting in a car that has to do the exact opposite. Right. And if you could look at the data, if he drove the car like Lando did, he would be making up almost three tenths of a second per lap. Is It's just pure. The car does not fit his style at that point. That's what I'm hoping to see is, is a rise up next year is as he's kind of yeah. beating out those old habits, trying to drive a car that's not physically under him. Well, I mean, that, that kind of leads into something that I really wanted to to talk about. And I think we'll, we'll talk about this and then we'll get into some of the, the bigger headlines and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up for the day. But I, I really want to talk about how it's a season of reckoning for, for a couple drivers here and how their, their careers essentially are really on the line Two, I think more so than, than the other one. Yeah. A lot and of contracts coming up this year. A lot of contracts, I think over half the grid, but the, the three that I'm most concerned about are Daniel Ricardo, Sergio Perez and Fernando Alonso, although less so. Yeah. Fernando, um, if you recall, retired, quote unquote, in uh, in 2019. He, he said, you know what? I'm done. 2018 season. I'm finished. Um, I, I've called it a career. Yeah, and if I drove that finished. McLaren for three years, I would have retired. Too. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like, yeah, I think I'm also done. And and, and they didn't do well that season at all. And no. so who can who can really blame him? But with with Chaco, I, I want to start with him first. He's in the Red Bull. He's locked up until the end of this year. And yeah. he he went in last year coming off of that great, uh, great race with uh, uh, BWT Racing Point. It was still Force India at that point. Yeah, I think it was still no, Force not, India. Not essentially. It was Racing Point, but yeah, Racing Point. Force India, same and, thing. And he had that great, great, great final race where he, he you know, he won and he finally got his podium and, uh, and and all these amazing moments. And Red Bull went, hey, we need a driver. Albon sucked. Gasly also sucked. So you're coming in. <laughs> yeah. And, and so Jacob's like, great. And I think I, I, the general the general feeling is that Sergio did fine this year. I think he, he did exactly what the team wanted of him. Right. But he didn't do as good as what people think that he could have. Or, yeah. sorry, in other terms, he wasn't Valtteri Botas. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I mean, for this year coming up, you got to think Perez is out after this year. Only because Pierre Gasly has been a goddamn whirlwind reckoning of always finishing between fourth and sixth every race. And if, if you put him in the Red Bull, he's got to compete. So in my yeah. mind, it's got to be Gasly. His car. Yeah. So it's got to be Gasly. So if Perez is out, what happens to Sergio Perez? I think Perez is essentially going to replace whoever's retiring at the end of this year whether it be Alonzo or Vettel or maybe even replacing say Yuki, if he doesn't pull it out this year. Right. It's a lot of people that can, I think there's going to be a lot of open seats at the end of the year. No. When you have people like uh, Danny Ricardo, who arguably did not have a very good 2021 season, mm. he's kind of sitting on the block this year where unless he's performing up to Lando's spec or better, he might not be looking at a seat for 2023. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think it is important to note with Daniel, he is locked up for 2023. He he does have that that full. I think it was a three year contract when he when he signed it, um, or sorry, two year contract. My bad. Yeah, he's but, done at the end of this year. Oh, is he done at the end of this year? Yeah, I thought it was a 2023 contract. Two year contract. Oh wow. Okay, no, I'm losing it. So I must have got that wrong. Regardless, Danny Ricardo. You know, I, I, I don't, I, you got to feel bad for the guy in, in a way, because I think he completely miscalculated when he left Red Bull. And, and, and I don't know, and maybe I'll preface that with not a complete miscalculation because Max was the guy and Max was going to be the driver and they knew that, but you look at his points totals for uh, let's the last three Red Bull years. He had his best season ever was in 2016, the year that Nico Rosberg won the championship. Yeah. And he had 256 points, which is a very good season. It was a very, very good season for him. The next year he drops down to 200 points. The next year he drops down to 170 points. And then he leaves for Renault and drops down to 54 points 
with Renault, which yeah, is I think, uh, which is just not good enough. Renault really honeypotted him into pulling them into that team because yep. he said, "Oh, well, he just I get I listen I get why he left, yep. but it's still it's like he should have held on one more year." Yeah. He, he was like, oh, I don't know about the Honda power unit. It might it might be just as bad as the McLaren. But it's like you hopped into a power unit that ended up being worse, man. Yeah. yeah. He ends the first he ends his first race on a retirement. Yep. Which is exactly what he wanted to avoid. Because how many retirements did he have in the 2018 season? It was ridiculous. And I oh, understood God, the frustration. Been, it must have been at least five or six. Yeah. It was, so, it was too much. And, and so you have that. And now you've got a point where. Over his 12, I think 12 to 13 year career now, he's on his fourth team. And I, I wouldn't say that you can necessarily fault him for Renault. I, I don't, I really don't think that's on Daniel Ricardo as much as it just is on Renault. Well, maybe not, his, his contract not is stuff. listed as a three year, it says three seasons. Is to it the a three end season? of 2023? So maybe okay, he's so good. Maybe I'm not losing my mind. But I, I, I think regardless, I, even if he does have next year locked up, this season's the season that matters. It doesn't matter what happens in 2023. I think he's yeah. also 32 now, 33. Yeah. He's getting up there for, in terms of yeah. drivers now. Does, so I, I guess my, my question in all of that is, is, is finally like once, once his McLaren, his contract, his contract is done. I think Pato award comes into F1 eventually, um, <laughs> who's been tearing it up or another driver. Cause I think they also have, uh, Ah, uh, what's his name that they have on Formula Two right now? Oscar uh, Piastri. Piastri, that's who I'm thinking of. And so they've got him in the works, who possibly, more than likely, will come up over over Pato Award, um, because he's driving IndyCar right now. Is it? I believe. I'm not familiar with that driver. Oh, really? You got to look him up. Yeah. Anyways, he's really good. He's awesome uh, in his interviews as well. But Daniel's got to perform. He he has to perform, and I hope that after McLaren, he's still in Formula One. Oh, absolutely. I think he has to be, but he's not going to be on a good team. It's a shame that like, imagine if you took pride out of the mix and he went back to Red Bull after Moreno. Tucked his tail between his legs and went back. Imagine like if you asked me if Ricardo was in the Red Bull last year, Red Bull would have won that constructors championship. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? We'll see how everything shakes out. Um, we've got a lot of contracts expiring this year. I'm just going to run down the list real quick. We got Perez, Alonso, Sonoda, Vettel, Latifi, Albon. Um, is it Zhao? Zhu? Zhou? Zhou? Everyone's going to um, pronounce it differently, just like Charles yeah. Leclerc, Charles Leclerc. <laughs> Leclerc. Um, you got Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin, who I don't think will be back. I think Schumacher ends up in, uh, well, I don't think he's going to get into the Ferrari anymore because that team is dangerous um and then 2023 we've got hamilton russell verstappen ricardo gasly um but a lot this year and so we'll see what happens with the other drivers i think sonoda is definitely on the block seb doesn't have much left in him i don't think it with the uh performances at aston um latifi who knows albon still has to prove himself i mean he hasn't really been given too much of a chance in his credit yeah Um, he's he's kind of been put up and down if you really take uh if you take all the data of his points his points performance versus max verstappen over the half of the season and you compare it to perez in the same span of time Yep. Under similar circumstances, it's really not that far off. Yeah. And Paris and I, didn't get ducked out of two corners by Lewis no, Hamilton either. Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, he's a younger driver, so we'll we'll see what happens. I do think Pierre gets the seat next year for Red Bull, but um, we do also have Alex Albon waiting in the wings, who's still a Red Bull driver. Um, and that makes me want to get to a couple of our headlines, and then we're going to wrap up for today because we're we're going a bit long for the introductory show, but that's all right. <laughs> we got lots to talk about. Um, the first thing, um, actually, before we get to the Red Bull, I want to talk quickly about the Williams drivers complaining about visibility um, in talking about, um, I guess Albon still factors into this, but talking about tricky visibility issues with the Williams Wheels being so high now and the car being lower, um, they're not able to have the same line of sight. They have a blind spot. Steve, how do we think this affects everybody going forward? And is this just a Williams problem? It's definitely going to be across the board. It's just one of those things where it's like, hey, you probably shouldn't have said that on live press, you idiot. But (laughs) it's definitely going to make uh, Castle section in Baku very interesting. It's going to make Monaco very interesting. And it's going to you're going to see a lot of two drivers going into the same corner 
defending it and you're going to see them yep. bumping wheels a lot more often i think yep so can we see that as a part of tighter racing then do you think oh yeah for sure but you also going to yeah. see what's going to look like more dirty racing too yeah interesting so that's one one thing where maybe uh alex should have shut his mouth and not spoken about that because now claire williams or whoever the conglomerate is that now owns williams um dorleton is, capital. is is it a what is it called again sorry dorleton capital what are they it's basically just a u.s venture company oh right on they're owned by suits right on so frank <laughs> frank williams passes away claire is seen as useless and now the team gets taken over by by a venture capital group okay good yeah. hey it could work out for them it could really work out can maybe turn them around give them the money they need to develop properly so yeah we'll he see. probably should have just like pulled it off and swept it under the rug with albon fears tricky visibility issues yeah man it's just called the halo it's been there since 2016 <laughs> <laughs> um on the note of alex albon um it was tweeted earlier today by decal spotters on twitter Alex Albon is still a Red Bull athlete as such will wear a Red Bull branded helmet. He's not sponsored by Red Bull Thailand. However, Red Bull's Thai owners are sponsoring Albon under their separate vineyard company, Monsoon Valley, as seen on his race suit, because this sparked a bit of controversy at the Williams reveal when uh, a certain someone had a certain Red Bull logo on some of his apparel. (laughs) Well, that's what happens when you just don't give them the right apparel. Guys only got one helmet. What are you going to do, right? <laughs> they can't afford to give him anything else. They're just yeah. giving him bare bones. Maybe Horner uh, picked that one up when he went to the Mercedes uh, team factory. And he, he probably oh took it from God. Brazil. Wasn't, so. wasn't that awesome? Yeah. Just seeing the, what did he change his name by like one letter or something? Yep. Yeah. I think he wasn't allowed to go. I think it was ruled he was not allowed to go. Yeah, which fair enough. But it just makes me love the guy. I, I hate him a little bit, but I also love him. Uh, what a gem of a man. Just an absolute shit disturber. Yeah, um, he would have showed up. And he would have been asking for the steering uh, details for Brazil 2019 <laughs> with a fake mustache on. Just be like, no, that's that's my brother, Christian. You're thinking of uh, <laughs> married um, to Red a Bull. different Spice Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Red Bull signs a $150 million crypto deal. Um, Chris Medland, I think, reporting that earlier in the day. Um, the company, I can't remember, Bybit, I believe, is the name of the cryptocurrency company that is now on their front wing. Um, not quite Oracle levels of investment, we are told, um, but it still covers the value of the budget cap each season. Not bad for a energy drink company raking in some money. That is one of my favorite things to say. Not only like, am I just like a Honda fanboy because that's who I work for, but it's nice to say that when they were at the, basically the peak of their dominance last year, that Mercedes and Ferrari were losing to an energy drink. (laughs) (laughs) It's depressing to say, but it's also hilarious. And, and, you know, but now going forward, it's okay because they don't have a Honda engine anymore and it's entirely Red Bull. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, they actually run by this new company, HRC. And I have no idea what that stands for. The H no. is definitely not Honda Racing Company. No, 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 no. It's something else. It's probably Huawei or something who, for all we know. So <laughs> uh, last bit of information here, uh, something that I found really interesting. Lance Stroll last week slamming F1 for changing the rules during Lewis Hamilton versus Max Verstappen finale. He calls it ridiculous, um, a ridiculous ending to the season. And what was his other quote? My opinion is that it's ridiculous that we didn't go back racing the way we should have gone back. Stroll told the race and quote, Quote, you can't change the rules halfway through at the end of a race and tell half the cars they can overtake. Quote, unfortunately, I was part of the group of the other half of cars and couldn't overtake on brand new soft tires with the opportunity to pass and maybe do something. It's never been done before, and it's important that we keep the rules consistent. <laughs> Is daddy's money protecting Lance? <laughs> Is my question. Well, uh, at least at least the money would be protecting him because the car definitely wasn't that, that car was just lacking the stroll was left furious as he was unable to challenge for points yeah that was a uh, pretty um that was pretty evident at the start of the season but interesting you wait until the next year to bring it up i, I didn't know if it was uh you know, just, just on the last race that we need to worry about that, Lance. Um, you know, it, it's fair criticism. And I think you've seen kind of two sides. You've seen very much of both sides going on in the, uh, the comments where some people are like, don't blame Michael Massey. And then other people are like, I want 
to see him dead. Um, so it's it's one of the two. Um, but it is interesting, the controversy that's that's sparked up. And um, we will be able to see all of this behind the scenes controversy on March 11th when Drive to Survive season four comes out. Yay! Yeah. Drive to Survive! My favorite part about that is going to be that Monza, the McLaren 1-2. Netflix was with them on that race. Oh yeah. So that's definitely going to be the highlight of the entire season. I'm really stoked to see Toto's headset throwing, um, to see it's if funny they, that they that. actually lost Bose as a sponsorship over that. Over what? They had a, so no, Mercedes post, yeah, Mercedes posted a TikTok of Toto Wolf slamming his headset in slow motion, which arguably is not good for uh, press if you're Bose. And now Bose is not a title is not a sponsor for Mercedes this year. Wow. Could you say that those are related? Probably not directly, but it was probably one of those things where like if they were looking for an out, that was it. <laughs> that was the out. Yeah. And I mean, it, it did spawn one of the greatest, uh, greatest gifts of all time. Of, oh, yeah. Uh, Toto just taking it off and just full on whipping it at the ground and then yeah. picking it back up like nothing happened. So <laughs> listen, that's uh, that's a lot of what we got for today. Uh, I don't want to go too long because I feel like we've we've uh, we've talked about a lot today. Um, Steve, anything else you want to mention before we uh, before we head out for today? No, I think uh, next episode we'll definitely get into some preseason predictions based on the uh, opening cars we've seen so far, which is essentially just the Aston Martin who actually released their car (laughs) and then the Williams who also released their car and drove it. There's only two teams so far that have driven their car on the track. Alpha Tori said that they would, but there's been no footage of it yet. At least they didn't pull a Red Bull and just... Not even anything. Not even show. Just well, we don't even. You know, it, it's also a huge thing to see Williams showing up among the first few when last mm. year they showed up late with a car right. that didn't run. So it begs the question: Do they have it figured out? I or hope so. are they maybe just too far ahead and everything is going to collapse on them? I Williams, hope so. we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's it for us for today. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, this is fun. I think we actually talked a lot more about stuff that I, I we expected to, which is good. It's a good thing. Um, I think we got a good conversation going today. So we'll be back next week. Um, I believe it will be the 24th that we have that episode out. This episode should come out tomorrow um, if everything goes properly with yeah, today if you're being listening the 16th. To this, it'll be out tomorrow. Just yeah. wait. So if you hear it, it but it could be <laughs> tomorrow could be the next day. So it's all about your uh, your perspective on this one. But uh follow us on Instagram. We've got an Instagram now um that I made right before we we did this. Uh it's nice and fresh. I've got a fun video that I put up uh if you want to check it out. If you're our friends and you already listened to us and you're going to listen to this anyways, we'll probably talk to you in a few minutes. So hope you enjoyed it. Steve, anything else from you? Nope. See you next week. See you next week. Adios. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. Uh, We realized after the fact that we completely forgot to mention the name of the Instagram account that you can go follow. It is Sector4Pod on Instagram. Sector, the number four, and pod on Instagram. If you follow us there, we'll have all the updates for the shows, um, anything coming up news related that we think is important to share, and uh, you can check us out there. So have a good week, and we'll see you next time.